0: Pasa Mufasa! Welcome to the MyCopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, what's up everybody? Welcome, Justin Townsend, CEO of Myco Meditations in Treasure Beach, Jamaica. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. How are things in Jamaica today for you?
1: Good morning, Dennis. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a lovely, sunny, blue skyed morning in Jamaica. The sun's shining, the birds are singing, and you can probably hear the sound of the waves crashing on the beach from where you are.
0: I feel like I'm right there with you and I can't wait to actually do that one day. So you've been at Myco Meditations for several years now and have overseen dozens, if not hundreds of successful and impactful retreats with psilocybin mushrooms. And I would imagine that you've noticed some themes that have emerged about what makes a retreat experience successful and impactful. So can you just demystify for us, what are the common themes that make a psilocybin mushroom retreat particularly effective with a group dynamic?
1: Okay, so I can only speak to what we do here. I don't really know enough too much about other organizations and how they do. I've got enough to, I can speak about this, but um, so first of all, The very first point of contact that a guest has with us is with our operations director and they have a lot of questions, believe you me, a lot of nervosity and so that's the first point of contact and there are lots of questions asked about what we do and how we do things. Uh, We have for example a three dose regimen of dosing throughout the week. Um, Other retreat centers are focusing more on one or two doses. Um, so that's one part is it's a lot of upfront information and before they arrive on retreat we do a lot of prep work with them as well um, helping them to prepare for the for the retreat emotionally and intellectually and what they can be doing in the time before they arrive here once they arrive here I think what's key for us is that we are positioned as a therapeutic model a therapeutic retreat okay so there's a variety of different um, retreat types out there when it comes to psilocybin it can be the shamanic slash indigenous approach which is very very popular for some people Um, another approach can be more focused upon wellness there are retreats that for example don't accept anybody with a clinical diagnosis and we focus predominantly on mental health and we work with a lot of people that have seemingly intractable uh, deeply entrenched mental health issues that they've been unable to resolve um, uh, over decades with typical pharmaceutical interventions and talk therapy and so on So we are geared up around treating and working with mental health. Um, How that impacts our team constellation is that every retreat has a retreat leader. The retreat leader is typically a licensed therapist. Uh, The retreat leader is backed up by a lead therapist for that retreat, also licensed. And the rest of the team members are either what what we call senior facilitators or facilitators. Um, They are mostly also in their own rights for the most part Therapists as well, and then we have a nurse on each retreat. Um, That team is backed up by an on-call MD, and we also have a psychiatrist on the team as well. Okay, so we set a very high standard when it comes to the licensure of the people that are working with our guests, and also the amount of personal experience they have with psychedelics, as well as how many literally um, hundreds of hours of experience we require them to have before we will promote them into any degree of responsibility within the company. That is incredibly reassuring for our guests. Um, Frankly, we are agnostic in our approach. Um, So we don't don't use words like ceremony or ritual as we talk about our sessions. And the vast majority of our guests inform us that actually the reason why they come to us is because they're not interested in a shamanic experience. It doesn't feel as safe for them so there's a consolation of the team um, many of our protocols that we operate here are tried and tested insofar as we've looked at how Johns Hopkins has done things in the past maps and other research institutes obviously that's more of a clinical research environment and it tends to be one or two licenses, practice, licensed practitioners working with a patient one-on-one obviously we have a group model here so We've taken what we thought were the best practices from these research institutes, we've taken a long hard look at them, then we've gone on to develop them further and tailor them in line with group work. So we have a clinical practice manual that details um, every step of what we do in this organization, laterally, from when the guest first makes contact to when they've gone home after retreat and they're participating in our ongoing group integration calls, and then vertically deep dives into each aspect of how we run the the retreat throughout the week, how we respond to uh, different situations, how we treat certain mental health issues is all extremely well documented and very much in line with clinical mental health practices as much as they can be back in the US. So I'd say that's a a key part of our overall um, presentation, but really you're not just coming here for mushroom sessions it's the experience of the whole week itself that makes it so important and everything that's woven into that experience throughout the entire week
0: sure and let's punch into that a little bit and talk about the daily flow if somebody is arriving at myco meditations What does that first day when they're jumping off the plane look like all the way through to when they're getting back on the plane and even after? I know you mentioned that, you know, there's pre-contact before anybody even comes to Jamaica. But as for that actual week or the allotment of time in Treasure Beach at Michael Meditations, what does that flow look like?
1: Okay, so most of them arrive here kind of a bit tired and worn out and hungry and anxious um, by early evening. So they'll arrive on the Friday. Everybody flies into Montego Bay. Sometimes the guests will meet up on the plane beforehand because they recognize each other. Um, Organizationally, we formed a WhatsApp group that involves my team members plus all the guests. um, We will send transport to the airport to meet them. Um, Two or three of our team members turn up in MyCo shirts with logos on, so it's very quick to recognize them. We settle them down. It's about a two and a half to three hour ride from Montego Bay Airport to any of our locations here in South Jamaica. Um, Like I say, it's like early evening when they arrive unless there's been a few delays. Um, What typically happens is they're met first by the operations team that will check them in, get them put into their rooms. Once they're established and they've had a bit of a freshen up, the rest of the therapy team comes over and then we will all just get together and start to break the ice and get to meet each other. It's a very important part of the week that we eat breakfast and dinner and spend downtime with the guests as well. It's not just on the dosing day or for the group integration. Um, That night is when more of the first questions start to come. We'll tend to say, look, we're going to address most of these tomorrow. But if you're a little bit anxious, I'm happy to answer some now. So we end up having a good uh, discussion with our guests that evening. Break the ice. Everyone gets to know each other. Um, It's an early night that night. And then typically breakfast is at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. Um, We eat breakfast with them. Then we do our first group meeting at 9 a.m. Okay, That involves the entire Um, cohort of guests, up to 12 guests, plus about about another eight to nine team members. And what we're looking to do in that first morning session is work our way around the group. Uh, We're looking to understand um, what was your childhood like? What was the nature of the relationship with your parents like? um, Any major events that have happened in your life? What are you struggling with? What have you come here to work on? Now, that is quite an emotional time that we begin with. Many of our guests arrive. their emotions just below the surface and once they start to talk about their history and some of the challenges that they've been through it doesn't take long until the tears start to flow and that just spreads throughout the room that's a really really good thing to have because we tend to find that our guests report to us like even a week or two or a month before they get here um, buried material is starting to emerge within them pertinent to this upcoming week or they're starting to have really interesting and insightful dreams whereas before they never really dreamed much at all so this is all the unconscious mind letting material come up that can be addressed for them as well so uh, we will spend a lot of time uh, that first morning on psychoeducation as well uh, we talk about the science of psilocybin we talk about the neurology we talk about the psychology then a general kind of um, tripping 101 where we address what to expect from how long the come up takes and uh, the various stages of the, of the experience and how we do things. Um, by about one o'clock in the afternoon we're ready to go and so there'll be a quick meditation. Um, the retreat leader will then bring the medicine and will issue the medicine out to the guests for the first time and then the team members will go with each guest. They will take a recliner, they will take a yoga mat and help those guests find a location outside in the shade here where they're all very spread out where they can begin to have their experience and we'll have a quick team debrief uh, just checking with everybody the retreat leader will allocate the team members to to look over certain areas and certain people and then off we go and that first session is done by around about six or seven o'clock at night the first session tends to be underwhelming it's supposed to be underwhelming nevertheless people have amazing experiences on their first doses sometimes anyway Um, and then you know, our team is busy working with them, helping them process and have that first experience. Um, we will have an early dinner that night so that everybody retires. The next morning again is breakfast at eight, meet at nine, and that's where the proper group therapy begins. Uh, that's led by the lead therapist. Now it's important that when you think about group therapy and group therapy hasn't been that popular these days, is that you're missing something if you think it's just a bunch of guests sitting in a room together talking about and sharing their experiences. Of course, that is significant. But the art um, of being a good lead therapist for a group is that a guest may be talking about their experience and it's the goal of the therapist to kind of tease more of that experience out and use it to help illuminate other guests that are in that group as well. Uh, That creates a certain kind of tension and dynamic in the, the group that you work with and then through that process um, it helps the other guests um, relate and have more clarity to themselves by relating to the other guest experiences as well where there may be similar overlapping background and story and challenges faced so that's the art of doing really really good group therapy um, that's done by about one o'clock in the afternoon we have walks that are organized we have massages that are organized um, people can play on the bocce court or play some pickleball or be in their rooms and read a book or go on the beach and sunbathe. This is all optional stuff that people can participate in. The next day is dose number two. We'll have again breakfast at eight. A quick group talk at nine. Um, It's a very short talk. We're just checking in with people. People are beginning to having sort of interesting dreams at night after their first dose. Obviously, you know, there is this permeable barrier between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind it becomes more permeable when you use psilocybin so more unconscious content starts to come up through dreams and through other means and so we'll talk about some of that content and then we'll start the second dose around about 10 30 11 in the morning that's really the second dose and the third dose is from from our perspective where when we say that's when the heavy lifting starts to begin these are the stronger experiences the stronger catharsis that's going on as well will be done by about four o'clock that that second dose Rinse and repeat the next day with integration. Then the following day after that, the third and final dose, same kind of setup. Final integration Thursday morning. And then Friday morning, everybody is typically hugging us with tears of joy, having made great new relationships with all the other guests they've met and had some very profound experiences. Then they're winging their way home and ready to reintegrate back into their family and society again.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for that that insightful response. And I have a very clear visual now of what we're dealing with more or less with Michael meditations. So there's quite a few people out there who are entertaining this possibility for themselves that they want to go have an experience like this. They want to go on a retreat, right? And, for example, I have a good friend who just recently got divorced and he's kind of looking for what do, what does he do with the next chapter of his life, right? So I would say like have conversations, having had conversations with him, he'd be an ideal candidate. Of course, there's no like blanket stereotype for who fits the bill for these kinds of uh, retreats, right? All sorts of people are coming to my meditations Now for the people who are vacillating back and forth and they've got this idea on their mind, it's coming up to the surface. Something's telling them this could be beneficial for them. What are some practical considerations to bear in mind for people who, who are at home right now? They have their routine, their family, their job, their commitments, etc. What are some practical considerations to bear in mind when they're engaging with this possibility of uprooting themselves and flying to a Caribbean island to go do a week of psilocybin mushroom experiences and therapy?
1: Certainly, I can relay this to you because I've heard it secondhand or firsthand directly through our guests. Um, So the first the first good thing to recognize about this right is you know if you fast-forward a few years into the future And there are these day clinics that you can go to and have a psilocybin experience What you're doing there is you're leaving your daily routine of family or work Going to have a day session then immediately going back to family and work, right? So the great thing about coming on retreat for a week is that you are leaving family behind You are leaving your toxic potentially toxic work environment behind you're leaving your obnoxious teenagers behind you're leaving your nagging spouse behind, whatever it is, we're we're removing all of these typical inputs that people have in their normal lives. So it's a great thing to come and do this somewhere else entirely different for a week. Um, What we quite often hear, and it's very, very common actually, is that when one spouse out of a partnership comes here, um, sometimes there's a bit of difficulty for the person they're leaving behind, because that person they're leaving behind is, how is my partner gonna change Right? What are they going to learn about themselves while they're there? And will they still want to be with me when they get back? All these kind of deep insecurities start to well up. It's good to be you know, conscious of that. What I can say to your listeners is that in 99.9% of uh, situations um, where that arises, that if anything, this week's experience goes on to deepen and enrichen that romantic relationship and often it's not long maybe a month or two or three later that the other partner in that couple is now coming on retreat to kind of level themselves up and often followed by adult children and this kind of thing as well so that's another component to think about Um, another one is is that um, as you're looking for what you want to get from a retreat okay as I mentioned earlier there are different types of retreats um, one thing that, where well, we differentiate is we have a three dose regimen. Uh, the reason why we have a three dose regimen is cause number one, I've had no end of guests come on retreats here and have not launched on their first dose. Okay. So imagine you're going on a two dose retreat in Jamaica for five days and not seven and you don't launch on your first dose for, for, for whatever reason, then all the pressure is on that second dose to get as much work done as possible. Um, so that's another consideration for the three dose protocol. Okay. Um, we also tend to find that sometimes at the beginning of the week, um, some of the mushroom session experiences aren't making sense, but generally by the end of the week, everything slots into place with those three doses. You can tie your experience up quite nicely in a nice box with a tidy t- pink bow on it. Um, but also, uh, the sense that had I only had one or two doses, my experience would have been incomplete because there's still more material there that i know is there just below the surface that i'd like to work on and get through so the seven day three dose protocol affords you all of that Um, the other thing is i've already talked about the ratio of um, staff members to guests other retreats may have a one to four ratio so one team member for every four guests that would be a consideration for many um, as well as the dosing protocol Um, I've looked at other retreat centers where they'll say we don't do therapy or we only have one psychotherapist for the entire group and to me um, we set a very very high bar for standards and protocols and how we do things to absolutely ensure guest safety and the best possible outcomes. That takes a lot of investment for us. Um, Others may not be so inclined to make that kind of big investment on going into their organization and their own standards. Um, so there's a bunch of different factors there. I would also say, do as much background due diligence as you possibly can on these organizations. Um, one of the great resources that we have is we have in excess of 200 five-star trip advisor reviews. And these aren't just short paragraphs where someone says, great food, love the accommodation, had some great trips. These are long testimonies where people write about their own stories, their life prior to retreat, how their retreat impacted them and then how life has been for them afterwards. And the great thing there is for many guests that are on the fence and nervous reading those testimonials that guest that wants to come on retreat will often find a version of their own story somewhere in those testimonials. And it's very, very reassuring as well. Um, You know, we also do a lot of retreats. We're going to be doing almost, we'll have completed just over 40 retreats in 2022. We're going to be doing about 50 plus in 2023. As you can probably imagine, that's a team that's been doing this kind of thing for five plus years in Jamaica, has a lot of experience under their belt. There isn't much we haven't seen here before. So for the safety uh, perspective, which is important for many of our guests, a lot of these different components I've talked about all count towards that decision making uh, ability as well. Um, Obviously, I've said we focus on mental health. Yes, we do do wellness. Yes, we do newly divorced people. Um, I wouldn't say that's a mental health issue, but obviously there's a lot of instability and crisis that one goes through in going through a divorce, I know I've been through one myself, um, that can be quite debilitating, that can impact your ability to function well at work, and like you normally do. So uh, very effective for um, divorcees as well, in that case, newly divorced people. Um, but there are some retreats here that will not take anybody with a clinical diagnosis or will not take anybody with um, some kind of mental health issue. It's not their area of focus. They want to do a one or two dose protocol and focus on the lighter lifting and the more easier low maintenance type guest profile to work with. I respect that. It's not what we do. Uh, One more thing I'd say is this is that many of our guests with depression are on some kind of antidepressant like an SSRI or SNRI, we have the requirement that um, all of our guests under the guidance of a licensed medical professional taper off of their medication so that they are a few weeks free and clear before they get here. There's a reason for that. Um, When you're using an SSRI, um, psilocybin likes to bind to what's called the 5-HT2A receptor in the brain. But if you're on an SSRI, That receptor is already covered with masses of serotonin and the psilocybin can't bind, so it dampens the experience massively for those that use SSRIs, so we have that requirement too. I suppose one more more requirement would be this. Look at the application form. We have a very, very detailed application form and screening process. Um, We actually deny between 25 to 30% of all applications on average. We are putting our guest safety and outcomes first over profitability. So that would speak to that safety component as well.
0: Sure. And let's talk about the dosing protocol, right? I I imagine, as you mentioned, you start off with a underwhelming or a smaller dose and you kind of scale it up from there. I'm sure it's highly personalized depending on, you know, who you're working with, your conversations, their baseline of experience they're coming in with. So please go into some detail about what a dosing protocol could look like for someone who has no experience with mushrooms or altered states or psychedelics. And is it adapted and personalized for people who may be coming in with a baseline experience or someone who's returning to the retreat?
1: Right. Good question. So um, first of all, when it comes to psilocybin, despite what the research institutes have been trying to achieve and pharma companies for that matter, there is no one size fits all when it comes to psilocybin. I think at the research institutes, that's beginning to shift as they realize this. Obviously, we've worked with over 1,500 guests We've administered over 4,500 doses of psilocybin. We have a lot of anecdotal, as well as recorded, experiences as to what works and what doesn't. I think the research institutes, like I was saying, is about 35 milligrams of psilocybin synthesized for every 70 kilograms in body weight. But let me tell you, I've had hockey players, rugby players, six foot three, weighing 250, take three dry grams, lay down for six hours, and have a very powerful experience. that've had little old ladies or little old men that maybe weigh a 100 pounds wet. they've been given 10 grams, and two hours later they're tapping on their watch saying, "Hey, nothing's happening to me, sonny." you know So that's after 10 grams. So everybody's different with regards to how they respond to psilocybin. So the purpose of our first dose and keeping it low is bearing in mind that probably 95 percent of our guests, except the returnees, have never had a psychedelic experience before. So one facet is to give that guest their first opportunity to dip their toe in the water, have a psychedelic experience that's mild and to kind of float about in the shallow end for a while. What it does for us is allows us to to assess their tolerance and sensitivity to psilocybin. Um, Now, the next factor when it comes to dose two and dose three, um, we've assessed them throughout dose one and we're looking to understand when we're looking to assess and decide what that second dose should be for a person is, what is your mental health condition? How acute is it? How long have you had it before? So an example might be, I may have an elderly gentleman in their late seventies that's had treatment resistant depression for 40 or 50 years. And they've tried electroconvulsive therapy. They've tried a cocktail of different medications. Nothing has worked. You can assume that they're, depression-related neural pathways are very, very ossified. And to give the metaphor of the record needle, they're very deeply worn grooves, okay? Low doses in our experience aren't even gonna touch that degree of depression. Whereas um, maybe somebody in their early 20s with a bit of mild depression or situational type depression uh, could very well respond quite well on a lower dose. So there is what I call the rational side of the equation what's your mental health condition, how acute is it, how long have you had it for? Um, And then the non-rational side is more intuition, experience, our ability to assess their conscious as well as unconscious resistance in all of this, and their ability to let go into the experience. Um, One of the things that we tend to see is that, neuroticism is a scale, and towards the far end of the scale, those that are highly neurotic, um, independent of their mental health condition, tend to have the most problem surrendering to the experience, okay? And so um, that'll be a consideration for dosing as well. Um, Obviously, we're looking for a few different things here when we're dosing people. We are looking to reset the default mode network. That's a window that's different for everybody in the brain. So our ability to hit that default mode network and dial into that is key for the second dose. That helps to reset the default mode network that starts to bring immediate relief from depression and anxiety at the same time um, given that psilocybin is an ab reactive and basically will bring that which has the most emotional charge within you to the surface we're looking to get that emotional the repressed emotional material up be it grief be it um, something related to a trauma that happened decades ago Uh, the body tends to hold on to the physiological and emotional responses to trauma that happened decades ago so our job is to help them target that and release it as well so these are the factors that go into how we uh, decide upon a dose it's never one person's um, decision the retreat leader will work with the senior team members to dial in what the dose should be for each individual
0: Wonderful. And I have a, an even clearer, more comprehensive picture of what's involved with myco meditations than I did prior to this. And I've had several friends who have been through the program and also worked in a therapeutic capacity, right as therapists or as facilitators with myco meditations. So, the last question that I have for you today is what are some of the tangible ways that micro meditations Impacts the local Jamaican community, and what are some ongoing initiatives that you've taken to ensure that the presence of Myco meditations is a welcome and necessary addition to the local socio-economic climate of Treasure Beach, Jamaica?
1: Okay, so obviously you can hear from my silly accent that I'm a Brit, so I'm I'm acutely aware of uh, my country's colonial history here, following the Spanish, uh, as well as all the colonial extraction that's happened to Jamaica over decades and decades as well. Um, So it was always the ethos and the goal of the company to integrate as best we can into society here and into the community and to give back as much as we can. So we do that in a few different ways. Um, On a more meta level, about a year and a half ago, I decided to create um, the Caribbean Psychedelic Association okay, to represent all the different if you like, players on the island, from cultivators to retreat centers, to research, to science across the board, um, to make sure that they are represented and have a body through which they can interact with the various ministries in the Jamaican government to ensure that we begin to develop healthy and sensible regulations and standards and licensing here, okay? The other purpose of this is recognizing that um, there is a lot of domestic abuse here in Jamaica, there is a lot of alcoholism, and that um, psilocybin needs to be a part of uh, countrywide population health. So we've been making gradual inroads with the Jamaican government. And what I've seen in the last two years is a huge uptick in interest from Jamaicans all over Jamaica. I'm hearing about more and more people operating here, local psychologists, psychiatrists that are now working with psilocybin with their patients. Um, And this is a really, really good thing for Jamaica on a meta level, like nationally. What we do down here is first of all recognize that this is one of the areas where the trickle-down economy works, okay? So we bring in um, three to four retreats worth of guests every month. Um, They spend their money locally here at all the stores and touristy places. At the same time, you know, we put money into villas, all the people that work at those villas from the grounds people to the kitchen people to the cleaning people. um, We've got the masseuses, we've got the transport companies all the local restaurants that we buy from and fruit and veg and the fishermen that we buy fish from all told, my calculation from last year is that about a million US dollars was directed right into this community. Okay, so the quality of life of many, many people here went up substantially. Okay, both primarily uh, because they were um, receiving indirectly this, this revenue, but also those that work with us. We make it a point to pay substantially more to a Jamaican than they would otherwise earn in that role here in Jamaica. So their families get to benefit from that as well. Um, About three years ago um, on Great Bay, in Great Bay where, where we are, my female team led by our operations director went down Great Bay Road, down every dirt track, down every overgrown road, down every dried up riverbed to every single house and made a note of every child that lived there, their age, their name and their gender. We collect donations from our guests. Guests bring Christmas toys with them, we buy them locally and we make sure that every year the team goes out and delivers like Santa a personalized uh, present selected just for that person, for that age. And these are kids that sometimes have never had a Christmas present before, let alone one that was wrapped and picked out especially for them um i can tell you that during covid local examples might be there is no tourism here the fishermen can't sell their fish to restaurants so we worked with a few fishermen that we'd heard on the grapevine were getting a bit depressed Uh, we worked with them with psilocybin we will not take payment for it it's just the right thing to do but of course you know um, i have had that fisherman two weeks later if you like walk up to me and hand me a couple of lobster or a freshly caught fish and I will definitely take that because that is restoring their dignity and the sense of a, a valuable trade between us as well. Um, we are supporting next year a spay and neuter program um, for all the stray dogs and cats down here to make sure they're all neutered and spayed and treated for ticks and fleas. Um, there is a new health center built, being built here. One of my Jamaican um, employees has been nominated as the director on that um, healthcare board representing micro meditation so we help to be doing we hope to be doing women's groups and that kind of thing um, a lot of women here cannot afford um, family planning or sanitary type towels for that time of the month so we put together bags and we give all that out to them as well locally so there's many many different ways that we do that um, I could talk into the cows come home about this but I hopefully that represents to you how important that is to us and, and how much we like to give back to the local community
0: well, thank you for those insights and for joining us today on the Mycopreneur podcast, Justin Townsend of Myco Meditations. It's a treat to hear that beautiful Caribbean backdrop, the waves gently rolling up on the shore of Treasure Beach. And I'm looking forward to coming out there and connecting with you personally. And I hope that anyone listening who feels the call to go have an experience in a, a safe container and have an impactful and momentous psilocybin mushroom retreat experience considers Myco Meditations and gets in touch with Justin and his team personally. So thanks again for coming on the podcast, Justin.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Have a great Christmas, a happy new year, and a fantastic 2023, and hopefully we'll see you out here soon.
0: And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode, and please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, micopreneur at gmail.com, or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Mycopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Micopreneur Podcast.